Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful way to worship this morning. Thank you, choir and Noah, musicians. Open your Bibles up this morning with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Ephesians is one of those great books of the Bible. I, I don't know if I could say anything less from the other 65 as well. They're all great. But I, I just love this book of Ephesians. It may be very well my favorite book in the Bible. But it's divided in two halves. We're, we're going to get to uh, the focal passage this morning. But it's basically chapters 1 through 3 is doctrinal. Chapters 4 through 6 is practical. It's truth and then the consequences of that truth. And so in the middle of this practical side, this consequential side... We have probably the longest section of the Bible that talks about family, beginning in chapter 5. But there's a pivot in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, based on all this that God has done for you in bringing you into his family and making you into a family, this is what your life ought to look like. So we move from the truths and the doctrinal side to the consequences and the practical side. And in the middle of all of that, we find our focal passage on family. And so Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to read the first four verses. And those who are able this morning, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 6, the first four verses. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. I, I want you to experience, ladies, your second gift today. I, I have one of the best wives in the world, and... I want you ladies uh, to receive a gift. I want her to pray for all of our ladies today. Donna, would you just stand up and pray for all of our moms, all of our ladies today? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming into this building today. We thank you for the, the love that is here, the family that is here, the bonds that are making us more like Christ as we love on one another and encourage one another. I thank you for the biological mother that is here with me today. I praise you for her. I thank you for the spiritual mothers in this building that have loved on me and encouraged me. I thank you for the spiritual daughters in this room that I feel like I have had the opportunity to love on. And Lord, we just thank you that you have given us this wonderful privilege of of the church and the family of God. And we ask this morning that you would bless the sermon message to inspire us and encourage us and make us more like Jesus. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So now as we continue thinking about gifts, I'm going to give you ladies the third gift of the day. And you might have thought that was a misprint in your bulletin, Fathering 101. But I think none of us ever live up to perfection as mothers or fathers. 
And over the years, I've, I've noticed as we, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, sometimes we're talking about this wonderful picture of like a Proverbs 31 woman, and, and there can't help but to be a little bit of guilt because there's no woman who is a perfect woman. And so even on Father's Day, preaching to the men, normally there's, there's no men who are perfect either. Uh, and if you don't believe it, men, just ask your wife and she'll let you know. There, there are no perfect ones. And so I wanted this year to flip that around and give the ladies a gift where they're not going to leave with any guilt, they're not going to leave with any uh, beating themselves up with imperfection, but I want them to leave today with a better teammate, with a better father that she's married to, her children's father. And so today we are, you, you read that right, uh, we're going to speak to fathers on Mother's Day. So, men, there are no excuses in knowing what to do and what not to do as fathers. I mean, the Word of God has our job description. One day when we stand before God, we're going to give an account from what this book says about what godly men should look like. And so, when we think about Ephesians chapter 6, Here's, here's a man who follows Jesus and wants to lead his family well. How does he do it? Well, it's laid out pretty clearly. I mean, you, you've got your job description laid out in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Not only do we have the text, but we have brothers in Christ around us who love us and will encourage us. We have fathers in the faith, spiritual dads and grandfathers who are available to help and encourage. And so again, men, no excuses God has made himself known, he's made his plan known, and this is what we should do. How do fathers who follow Christ lead their children? Ephesians 6, 4, let's focus on that again. Fathers, again, I hope you'll circle that in your Bible. Fathers, especially all of you men and, and uh, all of you who are raising boys right now to be godly men and husbands and fathers one day. This is a strategic verse. This is an important verse. This is a life-giving verse. This is a Genesis from the beginning verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're first given the negative in that verse, what we should not do. Do not provoke your children to anger. First, fathers aren't responsible for what their adult children do any longer. This passage is relating to children who are in their parents' home, who are still under the protection, the provision, the discipling, the discipline of their parents. This is a child uh, that is within the, still under the authority of their parents because they're dependent on their parents. Now, some like to spread that out and go up up into the 20s and 30s, but that's not how it's supposed to be. And they become adults. This is referring especially to those children that are still under your roof and under your authority. And so, again, we would say fathers not, are not responsible for their adult children's choices. So that takes a lot of excuses away from all of us. I can't just excuse my behavior, my passivity, or my dominance, or whatever wrongful way I may behave on, well, that was how I was raised, or that was my father's or my parents' problems. No, we 
take ownership for where we are and what God expects of us in our time, in our generation, in our day. We take personal responsibility. But fathers are responsible for how they treat their children. I, I think this may have as much to do with tone as anything. Dads have to be very careful because fathers carry a lot of influence and power and authority. And their very tone can disconnect and alienate their children from them. We must remember these children from conception on are from God. These these children are gifts from God. And from conception on, we're responsible for them. And that's what I I say even in the womb, I, I know there are a lot of culturally relevant things that are happening around us, but even in the womb, the child is learning to hear his father's voice. So there's importance even attached to that for us, and we're, we're responsible for how we treat our children. They're created by God. They're valuable to God. God sent his son to die for them, and we should treat them as God would treat them. We should treat them as we would want to be treated. We are responsible for how we treat them. Fathers are also responsible to represent the fatherhood of God. God makes himself known through creation. Fathers are created by God. Fatherhood's created by God. It's one way God makes himself known. Uh, By the way the father relates to his children, the children can understand how there is a God. They can understand the love of God. They can understand the kindness and the compassion of God. They can understand the fear of God. They can understand all of that from their earthly fathers. They're representing God. Their children look to their fathers uh, one day in a way that they will transfer that concept over to God himself. They represent God. God makes himself known through fathers. Fathers are also responsible to build a good relationship with their kids. Now, I'm trying to get at this point, how do we not provoke our children, push them to rebellion, push them to anger, push them to disconnecting with God? How do we not do that? And so this, to me, is one of the largest things that we fail at. Fathers are responsible to build a good relationship with their kids. It's talking together. It's playing together. It's laughing together. It's pursuing their hearts. We don't neglect and we don't control and act harshly. There's this disengaged father and there's this harsh controlling father. and, And both of those lead to provoking your children to anger You're responsible to build a good relationship with them. And then fathers are responsible to love their kid's mom. That's your wife. You love your wife. It's one of the most important things we do in parenting is have a good marriage where mom and dad, when both parents are involved and in the relationship, when mom and dad, they love each other, they put on display the relationship between Christ and the church. The children first 
understand what Jesus loving the church looks like because they see their dad love their moms, then they can understand it as they live their lives out what that really looks like. How, how does Jesus love the church? Well, look at dad. He's showing you by the way he loves your mom. And how, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, look at mom and she's showing you by the way that she follows dad. This is a wonderful drama that God has called us and assigned to us to live out in our homes. Men, you have a responsibility to love your child's mom. And of course, when you look back up in chapter 5, you see all of that laid out pretty clearly at the end from verses 25 down through verses 33, this responsibility we have. So children need from us dads, if if we're not going to provoke them to anger, children need both authority and affection from us. The old adage that maybe you've heard, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So there should be authority, rules. There should be affection, relationship. But when you take the relationship out and it's all rules, it's going to lead to rebellion. It's going to lead to problems. Once the child is out of the house, there's no relationship. They're going to rebel because it's all been rules. But you can turn that around and say if it's all relationship, just having a lot of fun, but there are no rules, that will lead to rebellion too. So you see the permissiveness and you see the harshness, both of those. Either one of those will lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship or relationship without rules. So what is it that God means for us? He means that there would be rules, there would be expectations, there would be instructions, but that there would also be a close relationship of enjoying what it means to be family in the home. So it's rules with relationship, and what does that lead to? Well, respect. That's God's design. That leads to what God designed for us to treat him like, with respect. Rules with relationship. And so we see God making himself known, even giving us commandments, because he loves us, he wants to protect us. He wants us to enjoy him and his, his, the life that he's given us. And so he gives us rules to protect us and to keep us from the things that would bring bondage and hurt and and long-term ugliness. He's, He's spoken to us his design through scripture, but we see his great love that he was willing to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We see the love of God, so we see authority, but we also see affection, and that brings respect. Any study that you would look at that relates to fathers would show you how important fathers are. It it, it doesn't take long to see that most of the people who are in prisons today, it goes, they, they, most of them had a poor relationship with their dads. Most of the kids who grow up in poverty, there's, there's an absence of a dad who is there. I mean, it, it, it just sociologically, psychologically, Not to mention biblically, we see the need for dads to both have authority and affection for his kids. But yet what we find is that one-third of children who are growing up in America today are doing so without a father physically present in the home. One-third of all children in America are growing up in homes without a father physically present in the home. No wonder we have the issues that we have. But moreover, not only is it a problem that that's true, but even those 
Two-thirds that may be in the home oftentimes are emotionally absent or spiritually absent and not really leading the wife and the family as God intended. It's an old story now. Years ago, there was a study that was done in an African jungle. There was a place that was being overpopulated with elephants. And they know that they needed to disperse some of those elephants because it was doing damage to that ecological system. So they took a lot of the younger elephants and moved them over to another place. They airlifted them out and took them to another place. And as they began to investigate that region where they were moving the elephants, they found that a lot of stuff was happening that was damaging that environment. They were finding animals that were gored and that were dead. And they couldn't understand what was happening, what had changed. And so they set up cameras and they realized that these young elephants, without the influence of the older bull elephants, were running wild and violent with no control and that things were going poorly. So that they, they brought in a few of the older elephants to that new environment, and overnight it changed. It's interesting, isn't it? Even in nature, God's making his plans known, even through elephants in the jungle. And how could we not see that in our own homes, our own nation, our own culture, our own church, that it's incumbent for dads to step up? So dads, do not provoke your children to anger. But when you see this in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. This is an active and intentional approach. This is in, uh, a way to take responsibility. Dads are to take responsibility. Sometimes when I read verse 4, I think back to Genesis, to Adam, when God gave him the commands for what he was supposed to do in the Garden of Eden. You you see, God told Adam what to do before Eve was even created. Then he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will provide a helper for him. So here's an equal teammate, this wife, Eve, who came alongside of him to help him. And so this text, it literally does say fathers. It doesn't say fathers and mothers. It could have. Back in verse verse 2, he does say father and mother. Honor your father and mother. So if he would have wanted to say the same thing, he could have. But he says fathers, and much like he gave Adam... The first command, he was saying, Adam, I'm placing you as responsible. There are two equal people here, but you're going to be responsible, Adam. Adam, if it doesn't go right, I'm going to come to you. And guess what? When it didn't go right, what did happen? God came walking back in the garden, anthropomorphically speaking, and he said, Adam, where are you? And for me, I take that very personally to say when things aren't right at my house, I would love for God to say, Donna, what's going on down there? (laughs) But I have to take it very personally, Rodney, where are you? Are you leading? Are you being intentional? Are you being the man I've designed and commanded for you to be as a follower of Christ? Take responsibility. The world will tell you you have so many more important things to do. I mean, you've got money to make. You've got titles to to accumulate. You've you've got all of this stuff. You have to increase and better your golf game. I mean, you've got all of these important things to do. 
But I want you to hear the high calling that God's given you as a follower of Christ. He's made it very clear that one of the most important things you'll do in your life is to disciple your kids, to bring them up, to be a dad, to be a father. This is no little task. It is a high calling from God. Paul Tripp, in his book, Parenting, I I don't think any parent should keep parenting unless they've read this book. I think it's one of the best parenting books available. Uh, It's 14 Gospel Principles. It's called Parenting by Paul Tripp. He said, you could argue that the chief reason God put parents in children's lives is so that they would know him. I think that would be a great argument. I think it is a true argument. I think it is what God intends, that he puts these human souls under our care. And he says, fathers, he made us responsible, gave us a help, made an equal team member to come alongside of us to bring her gifts and her abilities and to help us do this, her perspective, her insights. And he said, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. But what I want you to do is I want you to bring up these children in the training and instruction of the Lord. There'll be nothing more important for you. There'll be nothing more important for you as you follow me and as you do my work. Your work in the home is one of the most important things you'll ever do. Never take it lightly. Never discount it. Never think that it's not as important as something else. God's given you this assignment. It's clear. It's not subjective. It's very concrete. It's very to the point of what he expects out of us. Make disciples at home would be another way to say it. And of course, our parenting definition, parenting is disciple making. That's why we oftentimes say, go make disciples at home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school, but we don't neglect the home. There there may be a lot of other ways that we fail and that we don't reach people I don't want to fail in any of those ways. But the biggest way I would say don't fail is don't fail at home. It's a very clear call. Parents are the primary disciple makers. It didn't say, church, you better make sure you're doing a good job with all the children and all the students. And I think we're doing an excellent job with the children and the students right now. But it's not up to the children's pastor. It's not up to the student pastor. It's up to the parents. Father, you're, you're responsible. And mom comes along and she's a team with you. That's where God put the designation. You are the primary disciple maker. So how's that going to happen? Well, time. Bring them up. You can't bring them up if you're not spending time with them. They need you. That's, that's what's safe for them. That's safety when dad is connected and they're in conversation and dad's involved. And even as they move into some of those adolescent years, I know they want to say, I don't want you making decisions and I don't want you telling me this and I don't even want you around. And those are the times they need you more than ever. Even after they're able to dress themselves and feed themselves, they still need to know that dad is there, present, and praying, and involved. They need your presence. They need your participation. And wouldn't it be great if they knew you even had a plan in raising them through these different stages of life, that that was the kind of investment you were making. We're told when we're young, you know, you need to start investing for retirement because it's going to come one day. I would say even more importantly, be investing in your kids because your primary parenting years are going to be over one day. Time, bring them up. It's interesting, the phrase bring them up 
has the same root word back in verse 29 when it talks about a man and how he should love his wife. Back in chapter 5, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. So everything I need, I make sure that I get. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm cold, I put something on. I, I take care, I try to take care of myself. And he's trying to make the parallel to say, you know, you, you got to take care of your wife like that too. You're one now. So if she's hungry, feed her. If she's cold, get something for her. You, you try to bless and take care of your wife, you're one. A good husband provides and protects and blesses his wife. But it's that same idea, that same root word when you come down in chapter 6 and you see in verse 4, but bring them up. It's that nourishment. Provide that environment for them. Be present with them. You make sure not only that you have what you need and what your wife needs, but your children and let me throw a sidelight in here. Your children doing better than you. That's we, I just want my children to have it better than me. I want them to do better than I did. Make sure that your heart there is more spiritual than physical or economical. That they would walk closer to God than you ever walked. That they would know the truth of God more than what you knew at those different stages. Your children don't need a trophy. They don't need first chair in the band. They don't need the best batting average. They don't need the highest SAT score. None of this is inherently wrong, but what they need is a relationship with God. That's what they need. Dads, we can't lose our own. How, how do we reach out into our community when we can't even disciple our own? We've got a memory text that we're working on at Lawndale. I think it just reinforces how as dads and moms too that we're responsible for the next generation. And so help me as we go through this memory passage. I hope you're working on this memorizing. And I was working on it a little bit yesterday myself. But let's read this responsively. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. When I meditate on that passage, it makes me think, dads, that why would we not be commending God's works, how he created us? To, the, to our children. Why would we not be declaring his mighty acts? Here's the creator of the world. Look at what his plan all through history has been leading up to the cross so that there would be a sacrifice sufficient for the sin of all humanity. And, and then that he would send his spirit to draw us to himself and put us in homes where we could be taught the truths of God. Why would we not be telling the next generation these works of God and his mighty acts? Don't hold back from what truths you should be teaching your children. Moms and dads, we're equal partners at home. The church comes along and partners with you in that process. But time, that's the first thing that... We, we must do if we're going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Second, it's training. Training. That's, that's what that word means. Discipline is training. It's, 
It's, they need self-control. They need to know how to live life the way God meant instead of just any old way or how they feel. They need to learn how to discipline themselves, have control to live life like what God meant. This is what it means to bring them up at home, how well we train them. Not everything they put their mind to are they going to be able to accomplish. Not everything they want to do are they going to be able to do. As parents, we help them to find things that God created them to do and that they will have joy doing and that we can help build some skills and desire and opportunity around those things. But somehow we, we get a little bit messed up because we get all those worldly that worldly wisdom. You can become anything you want to become. Well, when I was certain ages, I wanted to do things that would be nowhere near what God has me doing right now with my life. So it's not just whatever you put your mind to. It's fine. God, why did God put me here on earth? There's a purpose. There's a reason. And then I can start moving toward accomplishing and becoming what God wants me to be. We know there's some things he wants us to grow in. He wants us to grow in character. I think one of the great things our children's ministry is doing this morning, I hope all of you parents will make sure you go downstairs and pick up a red plate. Because this red plate is a way to to uh, bless our kids for special occasions, but also to call out godly character when you notice something that they do that at dinner, mom and dad would begin to talk about what this godly trait is and be able to show that one of the kids really did that. They worked hard at that. I, I'm not saying they hit a home run so they get the red plate. Now, if they worked hard and they practice, and then eventually, great, but it's the hard work. It's the character development that we're after. We're training and we're teaching. When there's been honesty, even when in the moment that child was going to get in trouble, but they've been honest. When they did the right thing, even when the, doing the wrong thing might have paid off more in the immediacy. We, we want to acknowledge that's the kind of kids we want to raise and what we want to see grow and become a part of the community and the world that we live in. We want to train them in character and in conduct and in consequences that we would let them experience consequences of bad decision. In some ways, it's saying life is not about you. And it's not about me as the parent. It's not about your brothers and sisters. It's about God and God put you here on earth for a reason. Let's find that. Let's pray. God, show my child what this is that they should do with their lives. So it's training. Time, training, and then teaching is the third thing. How do we bring them up in the training and instruction? Well, teaching. This is instruction. Now, when you think about the word that he uses here, I don't think it, it quite reaches the depth of, of the original word here because it... it it comes in this setting more with intensity, almost as a warning. Teach them so as to keep them away from certain. Admonish them when they're, when they're headed down the wrong path. It's that kind of teaching here. I think uh, maybe the King James Version actually says, bring them up in training and admonition. That picks it up just a little bit more, the intensity of this kind of teaching. A father can't be silent or without words. He can't be passive and without some urgency. Eternity is at stake here for the lives of our kids. And whether or not they're going to live life for the glory of God and be able to experience life like God intended. The world offers a lot of stuff and it looks appealing and you think, man, 
that's what I want. And, but we who followed Christ for a while, we realize, you know, all the stuff really doesn't matter. It gets old and it's not always reliable. It, it, it's going to pass away and one day it's all going to be burned up. But what we know is rich is the closeness and the intimacy we have with God and being able to do what he put us here on earth to do. We know that. So we're transferring that. We're giving them time. We're training them and we're teaching them so that they can experience life like God intended. John Tyson, in a little book called The Intentional Father, talks about five types of dads. The irresponsible father who has zero involvement takes no responsibility, is emotionally absent, irresponsible. Then he talks about the ignorant father who doesn't seek help or improvement but just keeps doing things the way he's always done them and passes his brokenness on down to the next generation. Then there's the inconsistent father he talks about who just has the wrong priorities. He's selfish. He does what's best for him and that causes him to be inconsistent. The involved father, he does a lot. He shows up for most everything, but he doesn't really know his kids. He hasn't pursued their hearts. But then he puts forth what I think is a good description of Ephesians 6, 4, the intentional father. He's invested in knowing his child and making Christ known to his child by representing God well. He sees parenting as central to his call for what he's been put here on earth to do to pass the gospel down to the next generation who will then in turn pass it down to the next generation. Fathers, don't downplay your role Isn't it interesting that God gave you the same title he gave himself with his children, father? Ladies, here's possibly that fourth gift. And if there's a dad here who doesn't know Jesus, it's hard to ever, you'll never get your life lined up in the direction that God wants you to go without knowing Jesus. He is the only one that has the power to transform our hearts from selfishness and sin and bring forgiveness and new direction. So whether you're a dad and you don't know, whether you're a mom, maybe as a mom, you have not been following Jesus. You're not a part of the family. Maybe, maybe that's the gift for you today that you would receive this free gift of salvation. You could never earn it. You can't be a good enough dad or Or mother, that one day God said, I tell you what, you were a good dad, so I'm going to let you in. Or you were a good mom, I'm going to let you in. Our good works will never attain perfection or heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you don't know Christ, and there's no fruit of that, maybe today that's what your gift is. There's no better gift. There's no greater gift than to surrender your life to Christ, become a follower of Christ, be a part of the family of uh, of God, have your sins forgiven, put your trust in his death and his resurrection, and now have eternal life, a right relationship with God. See, maybe, maybe there's also the place of commitment today to say, God, I want to be the man or the woman that you want me to be. I want to be the dad you want me to be. I want to be the mom you want me to be. As we get ready for our invitation, the altar will be open. There'll be pastors who are available here. And then after the service, we'd love to talk with you more.
about any commitments that you would make today. Father, we come before you because we know that you're our only hope. You're our only hope for our kids. What an impossible thing you've done to call us sinners, to raise sinners in this way. And so this morning we come to you and ask for your help as dads and as moms. Lord, do your work in our hearts and lives so that we can do your work in the lives of our children. Bless this time of invitation that we will surrender all to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.